0: This week, the after effects of the extreme weather in Texas, heardsteaders file a plan in DS, peace reached in Garrett Motion Cases, and as always, updates from Puerto Rico. Hello and welcome to the Reorg Podcast where we bring you the latest top developments in high yield, distressed debt and bankruptcy. I'm Connor Skelding. The after effects of mid-February's extreme cold weather in Texas have so far included lawsuits, historically high collateral posting requirements and at least one bankruptcy. Beginning on February 13th, a winter storm swept across Texas, causing unseasonably low sub-freezing temperatures for days. Amid severe imbalances in supply and demand of electricity caused by the storm, the Texas Electrical Grid, managed by the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, or ERCOT, raised prices to its mandated cap of $9,000 per megawatt hour. From February 15th through 19th, ERCOT operated under a declared emergency, with some experts suggesting that Texas was less than five minutes away from a months-long blackout. Although the numerous effects of the storm on Texas's electrical infrastructure and consumers continue to become clear, it does appear that ERCOT's price cap has caused disruption across the entirety of Texas's electrical supply chain. Independent power producers, or IPPs, such as Vistra and NRG, that own generation assets in Texas, have each reported losses from the storm. Vistra, in particular, noted that its electricity book shifted from being long to short as a result of generation outages largely caused by natural gas supply shocks. This shift presumably forced Vistra, a company that on its face should have benefited from a spike in electricity prices to have to buy electricity from ERCOT to meet its obligations. At least two of Texas's electricity cooperatives, the Brazos Electric Power Cooperative and the Rayburn Country Electric Cooperative, are experiencing financial distress as a result of the storm. The generation and transmission cooperatives are aggregating middlemen, responsible for, quote, bringing together the distribution needs of its electric cooperative members to obtain best-in-class generation and transmission facilities through low-cost financing. Brazos filed for Chapter 11 on Monday, while Rayburn is working with Dentons as legal advisor. Reorg also last week initiated coverage of Just Energy, a Canadian-based retail electric provider with operations in both Canada and the United States of America. The company disclosed that it may have incurred a loss of as much as 315 million Canadian dollars as a result of the winter storm. The company said that it was obliged, quote, to balance its power supply through ERCOT at, quote, artificially mandated high electricity prices. It's also an open question how municipally owned energy utilities will fare. CPS Energy, the, quote, nation's largest municipally owned ele- electrical utility, pardon me, serves, quote, more than 840,000 electric customers and 352,000 natural gas customers in and around San Antonio. In an EMA filing dated February 25th, CPS addresses the direct impact of the weather event on the city and its system, along with financial implications. On February 26th, CPS fully drew on its Flexible Rate Revolving Note, or FRRN, program, acknowledging that on February 24th, Fitch ratings placed the utility, quote, along with every other retail and wholesale public power utility within the geographic footprint of ERCOT and rated by Fitch on negative watch. CPS said that it has also incurred, quote, significant costs associated with natural gas fuel purchases for its gas distribution and gas-fired electric generation needs, estimating those costs at approximately $675 to $850 million for natural gas. According to CPS, the costs related to gas purchase are due on or about March 25th. CPS noted that the fuel costs, including purchase power associated with the winter event, quote, are greater than the equivalent of what CPS Energy incurs for such expenditures on an annual basis. Now I'll turn it over to our legal analyst Sean Daly, who will take us through the Hertz cases. Thanks,
1: Connor. This was a big week for anyone following Hertz. On Monday, the debtors obtained court approval of the sale of their Donland Fleet Leasing and Management business to Athene for approximately $875 million in anticipated cash proceeds. During the sale hearing, debtors' counsel said the company had received three, quote, credible plan proposals and would file a plan and disclosure statement, quote, imminently. To their credit, the debtors followed through and filed a plan and disclosure statement the next day on Tuesday. Certaris and Knighthead are the plan sponsors. The two bids not selected by the company were from the Wilkie, Farr, and Ducera represented ad hoc unsecured notes group, and there was also a joint bid from Centerbridge and Warburg Pincus. The plan uh, on file now, the uh, Certaris and Knighthead uh, proposal, would pay secured claims in full and provide estimated 70% recoveries on unsecured claims. Unsecured note holders who are quibs would have the option to receive cash or reorganized equity. General unsecured claims and everyone else would receive cash. The plan would also alter certain terms of the previously proposed European restructuring. The plan sponsors have committed to directly invest $2.283 billion for 51% of fully diluted reorganized equity. Uh, The plan sponsors who have the right to assign participation to additional co-investors and have indicated an intent to do so would also backstop a rights offering of up to $1.970 billion to cash out unsecured funded debt claim holders who elect to receive cash under the plan rather than their pro-rata share of 44% of reorganized equity. It's important to note from a sources and uses perspective that the quote rights offering has no impact on the reorganized company's balance sheet. Unsecured bondholders are not providing any new money. Uh, the plan sponsors are simply offering to cash them out. So the, the the cash may go through the debtors as a as a formality, but uh, nothing's staying there. It's sort of a, a one for one on either side of your your sources and uses. Plan equity value under the plan is defined as 4.253 billion dollars, and the disclosure statement states that implied plan enterprise value is. billion. As noted a moment ago, the plan would also alter the currently contemplated European restructuring by removing the proposed bifurcation of Euronotes guarantee claims, which was discussed on the podcast a few weeks ago, and had received opposition formally from the U.S. trustee and uh, disclosed in the disclosure statement, informally, the official committee of unsecured creditors had indicated that it would oppose the motion. As an alternative, the plan sponsors would purchase those guarantee claims. Um, And for anyone wondering how that would go between the direct investment and the the rights offering, it would, dollar for dollar, any purchase of these guarantee claims would reduce the uh, $2.283 billion direct investment. On Wednesday, the debtors postponed the hearing on the outstanding bifurcation motion to the April 16th disclosure statement hearing. Uh, neither that hearing re nor the plan and disclosure statement explicitly say whether the debtors will continue to actually seek approval of the bifurcation motion or whether they, uh, you know, they've, they've noticed it for the disclosure statement hearing, but they may ultimately not pursue that alternative. Reorg reported on Friday that the ad hoc note holder group is preparing a new plan support proposal to send to the debtors. A few final thoughts regarding the plan on file and what might happen going forward. Hertz, like the other large post-COVID travel bankruptcies, uh, the various Latin American airlines come to mind, had bucked the trend towards shorter and shorter Chapter 11 cases in favor of a wait-and-see approach, hoping for more clarity on the trajectory of demand recovery and a corresponding valuation increase. At the Donlin sale hearing, counsel said the debtors now need to move quickly Uh, in order to, amongst other reasons, take advantage of accommodative debt capital markets. Query also whether the plan filing was rushed as unsecured notes trading prices, which started the year at 50 cents, shot up from 70 to 80 in the second half of February, and eclipsed the proposed cash-out amount in the plan. Following the filing of the plan, unsecured notes are holding steady at 80 with the news that the ad hoc unsecured notes group may make another proposal to the debtors, and uh, as as just mentioned, those notes trading around 80. Uh, Some of the questions become, will the plan on file be topped? What if the debtors go ahead with the current plan? Could it be approved over the objection of the note holder group? Few thoughts there. A quick compare contrast on the original ad hoc notes proposal versus the uh, Sertaris and Knighthead proposal. Uh, The notes had proposed, uh, according to... Uh, sources, preferential economics for the backstop parties, whereas the plan on file, there are no, there's no backstop premium or a discounted purchase price. Everyone's investing at the same valuation. Backstop parties are getting their advisors' fees uh, covered, and there's a, a breakup fee to be determined in the range of 3 to 5%. Uh, it's measured as is currently written. It would be measured on the max potential investment of $4.2 billion dollars uh say a four percent fee would result in 170 million dollar breakup fee that's a, a breakup fees can be a potential lightning rod for objection uh three percent in the the plain vanilla m&a context lower for larger deals but again the rights offering and the, the direct investment here doesn't have a lot of the usual bells and whistles for backstep parties so d- perhaps not a not a terribly bad deal uh, on topping bids i would think about Focusing on the the new money, any new money component, as opposed to a headline enterprise value, any topping bid would need to provide more new money to have a shot at making it past the Hertz board. It's not just higher offers; uh, it's better offers. So it doesn't really matter if you think plan value is I don't know a few hundred million dollars higher or something. Uh, the debtors still have plenty of discretion. To consider a bid with the higher amount of new money, which of of course they've you know they've already determined, and I'm, I'm sure we'll have plenty of good, professional, well thought out backup as to as to why they need that quantum of new cash. They'll still be able to deem that better, even if there's a technically higher bid on the table. And then, could the plan on file be approved over the objection of note holder group? Uh, short answer: I think yes. The plan separately classifies unsecured funded debt claims, class five, uh, primarily the the U.S. unsecured notes, from general unsecured claims, which are in class six. Uh, All you need is one impaired accepting class, and you can cram down any remaining objecting classes. Uh, Here, class five and six, they're supposed to receive approximately 70% recoveries, uh, so more or less the same. If class six general unsecured claims accept the plan... Uh, you know, bad bad news for Class Five, but I don't think a cram down objection in in this context uh, would be a would be a winning argument. Uh, finally, there's a big unknown. The, the plan doesn't really get into so much the potential ABS financing. Debtors have had disclosures on what they anticipate on this front in in the past, but uh, you know, I think a, a big question here and something that would be interesting to see from potential competing plan proposals is is the existing and future proposed ABS financing a source or use of cash for the enterprise overall? The debtors have sort of said they're, you know, they're, again, building fleet equity. If um, they may not be able to unlock it from legacy ABS structures, there's a there's a timing issue there. If you can't unlock it when you exit, uh, but you can a few months down the road, is that a windfall for whomever winds up holding the reorganized equity? Um, just a, a fun one to keep an eye on. With the currently scheduled April 16th disclosure statement hearing, the debtors could conceivably switch horses for a topping bid and file a new plan sometime between now and late March and still not have to move the hearing. Or, of course, you can always just move the hearing. This should be a fun one to continue watching. Back to you, Connor.
0: The Garrett Motion debtors on Friday announced the resolution through mediation of the Official Equity Committee's objection to the COH Group plan. Andrew Diederich of Sullivan & Cromwell, counsel for the Debtors, said that they intend to file an amended plan on Monday and that he views the revised plan as, quote, close to the offer the debtors made pre-mediation. Diederich highlighted the following aspects of the deal. For shareholders who do not exercise the cash-out election, the Series A preferred stock conversion price will be more favorable, increasing to $5.25 per share. As a result, 24%, previously 17, of fully diluted post reorg stock will reside with existing shareholders, he said. Addressing the upsize of the Series A preferred stock offering to $1.3 billion, Dietrich said that Centerbridge and Oaktree have agreed to purchase $668 million of that amount, but will now not act as backstop parties. Of the remaining $632 million, 581 will be made available to all shareholders under the rights offering, an increase of $200 million. Dietrich noted that 46.5% of stockholders are not part of the COH group. In addition, the rights offering will be backstopped by additional investors, presumably the shareholders in the Jones Day group, who would waive their right to take the $6.25 per share cash-out election. Quote, Perhaps the best term, Dietrich said, from the perspective of the estate, relates to compensation for the backstop parties. Quote, the only compensation for the backstop will be a $51 million direct allocation, he explained, and the backstop parties will not receive any backstop fees. Lastly, the Honeywell settlement remains unchanged, and the plan will still pay all creditors other than Honeywell in full. Dietrich said that he believes Garrett is now on track to emerge from bankruptcy by the end of April. Judge Michael Wiles scheduled the DS hearing for next Wednesday, March 10th at 11 Eastern. Now, as always, turning to Puerto Rico. On Wednesday, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the First Circuit issued an opinion affirming Judge Laura Taylor Swain's September 9th, 2020 opinion denying the motions filed by the monoline insurers, that would be AMBAC, National Assured, and FGIC, to lift the automatic stay in connection with the revenue securing the Puerto Rico Infrastructure Fund-run tax bonds and the pledged revenue related to the Puerto Rico Highways and Transportation Authority, or HTA, bonds. The appeal also addressed the court's preliminary rulings on the HTA and PRIFA stay relief motions. In affirming the Title III court, the First Circuit found that, quote, the Title III court did not abuse its discretion in denying relief from the 362 stay. Rather than challenging the Title III court's analysis in PRIFA and HTA directly, the monolines asserted that the appellate court must determine whether they have established, quote, a colorable claim to property of the estate. The First Circuit finds that, quote, nothing in the text of 362D says that if the monolines have a colorable claim and meet the other 362D bankruptcy code requirements, the Title III court must lift the stay and allow the monolines to pursue their claims in another forum. Even assuming the monolines had a colorable claim and Section 362D conditions were met, the monolines, quote, would not be entitled to the exact relief they seek because the Title III court, quote, retains discretion to institute other forms of appropriate stay relief. Top Red Stories this week included A Game of Survivor Private Credit Restructuring Year in Review Citibank Appeals $500 Million Mistaken Wire Decision in Favor of Revlon Lenders SES Claims $4.8 Billion FCC Relocation Payments Belong to Intelsat US, not Intelsat SA or Jackson Entities Accuses convertible note holders, plan proponents of shell game to prevent recovery on claims supported by smoking gun evidence. Now we'll turn, as always, to Jim Holloway, our senior reporter based in Houston, who will take us through the week to come. Well, thank you, gents. Good morning, all. And did I mention the spring is here? Well, it is. And Monday, March 8th, we have a DS and confirmation hearing in Remington Outdoor. Tuesday, March 9th, we have a final cash collateral hearing in Cedrill Partners and oral arguments in the Aegean Marine Petroleum Network. Wednesday, March 10th, exclusivity extension hearing in RentPath and an omnibus hearing in Malincrode. Thursday, March 11th, Drill Partners again with a perfection of statutory lean motion hearing in the morning and a ds hearing in the afternoon also a confirmation hearing in Steinmart friday march the 12th hearings related to sears and chesapeake and that'll do you for the week back to y'all in new york thanks a lot jim and thank you listener for tuning into another reorg weekly review as always find all of our podcasts on reorg.com go to the media page or find us on spotify itunes or soundcloud see you next week itunes or soundcloud see you next week